All right, so we're going to pass around a list that you can put your name and email on, and we'll do email updates, uh, email recaps of each week, so if you miss a week. So not, it's recorded, and we'll send it out to you on email. Uh, this week, this class, as you can tell, is Jesus Through Middle Eastern Eyes. Uh, one of our main sources for this is uh, this particular book by uh, Kenneth Bailey. Uh, he actually has written probably about five or six books. Uh, he's a very interesting gentleman that was born in Egypt, uh, got his PhD in biblical languages, spent his entire life teaching in seminaries in the Middle East. So he's very culturally aware. I think he passed away a year or two ago. Uh, he also had one of the largest collections of Syriac and Aramaic translations of the Old and New Testament. That was his hobby, was reading Syriac translations of the Bible. Uh, very interesting guy. Uh, in order, Syriac is... We'll talk about it. It's one of the languages that uh, was spoken in the ancient Middle East. And that the Bible, a lot of the early translations of the Bible were written in Syriac. Uh, we decided in order to, get, to kind of get into the culture of uh, the Jews in the Middle East, we're going to start this class the way they would have started every Bible study. So if everyone would stand up, we're going to repeat uh, the, the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. Love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Amen. They would have started every study with that. Uh, and so we think that's appropriate for us. It's actually not a bad thing to do with us. Here's our outline uh, on the, the class. This week's history, we're talking about a little language and structure. It's very important to understand the culture in which Jesus was speaking because it's not, nothing is divorced from all the outside influence. Uh, and the Jews had a, as you read the Old Testament, had a very tumultuous relationship with all their neighbors. Sometimes they loved them, sometimes they didn't. Sometimes the neighbors really did not love them and took them away, and then they brought them back. So we're going to talk about that today. And, next, and then because of that, the language and the structure uh, of how they speak and how they think are very different. Uh, our, our culture is Greek. We, we are very logical, rational. Uh, the Jews were not. Uh, they were the opposite. They were very structured, just structured in a different way, which we will get into. All right, let's talk about the history of the Jews. From, we're going to do this in 40 minutes, 609 to 70 AD. Uh, so this is a little bit, it's important to understand the history where the Jews come from because they are heavily influenced by where they were. Uh, we're talking a little bit about the politics, the social, and a little bit of the theology. Uh, political. Uh, we start in 609 with the Babylonian exile. Uh, they're there for 70 years. Uh, then we go into the Persians. Uh, the Persians send them back. Uh, we go into Hellenistic, which is Alexander the Great. Uh, and then he has some issues, so you see the Ptolemies and the Seleucids come along. Uh, then we have the Hasmonean period and we have the Roman period. You don't, there's no test on this. You don't have to remember all these names. Uh, but all these influence the Jewish people heavily. What? Oh, go back. Go back. She's going to write that up there for you. 
helpful to keep this in mind because it's really easy to get lost with has conquered the yeah, the, the single most important thing to know is that the Jewish people are conquered multiple times. The important thing is nobody really wants to conquer the Jews. They're kind of coincidental. What they really want is the road that runs through Palestine. Uh, in the ancient world, the breadbasket of the ancient world was Egypt. You could sail the Mediterranean half the year. The other half of the year, you had to take stuff by road. There is a road that runs through Palestine that the Jews happen to sit upon. And so everyone who conquers them, conquers them not because they want the Jews. Because Jerusalem has no water, it doesn't really grow anything, it has no minerals, it has no gold. It does have a Which road. It's funny because it's the promised land. Yes, it's the promised land. <laughs> the only thing Jeru the, the Judea has... Location. Location, location. They have a really, really, really important road that everybody fights over, and they're still fighting over today. Uh, it's their location. All right, let's talk about Babylon. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar, y'all, if you've been in church anytime, you know that name, Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, the Jews were not, the northern ten tribes are taken away by the Assyrians. You're left with basically Judah and Benjamin in the south. Uh, they are told they're going to be taken away for 70 years if they don't turn back to God. They don't turn back to God. Nebuchadnezzar comes along, takes them away twice. Not only, it's not bad enough that they do it once, he has to do it twice. 609, he comes along, conquers everything. What he takes away in 609 are the leaders. The king, all the royalty, all the smart kids. If you read the book of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and Daniel are taken away in 609, probably as seven or eight-year-olds. And what he does, he takes them all back to Babylon to train them up as administrators for his kingdom. The Babylonian's concept was you displace people and put, so nobody runs themselves. So you put Jews in, in, in charge of the Aramaeans. You put... Uh, Medes in charge of the Assyrians and that way they stay they're loyal to you because you put them in charge and it's hard to bribe them because they're different people uh, this is the Babylonian uh, kingdom basically this section here uh, this is Jerusalem uh, or and Judea right here this little thing uh, the reason again that he wanted that Nebuchadnezzar wanted this area was not Jerusalem. Nobody cares about Jerusalem. They really, really, really want Egypt because if the Middle East is all about water. Water grows food. Water, water, no water. So if you have a big kingdom, you gotta have wheat, you've gotta have corn. So who's got it? The Egyptians. So a lot of this is as Nebuchadnezzar expands, he, kinda, he actually just kind of captures Jerusalem as a drive-by. In 609, he takes away the leaders. Uh, the, the Jews then decide that since he's clear over here in Babylon, he's not paying a lot of attention to them in Jerusalem, so they make an agreement with Egypt and say, hey, we will be your uh, allies if you keep us safe from uh, Nebuchadnezzar. God actually sends prophets to them and say, guys, this is a really bad idea. Do not do it. Uh, they do it anyways. 
once again, those are the biggest armies usually win. Nebuchadnezzar gets fed up with this in 686, sorry, 686, 586 comes back. He doesn't mean to conquer Jerusalem, he's conquering Egypt. So he drives down, conquers Egypt, and on the way back, sacks Jerusalem again. And then at that point, as he takes a large percent of the population away and, and moves them into this area through here. So for 70 years, the Jews, all their leaders are gone, and then for about 50 years, most of the population has now been moved to this area of Babylon. Uh, and so what, during this period of time, what did the Jews get from the Babylonians? Because you always take stuff away from your neighbors. Uh, number one, when they left, they spoke Hebrew. Hebrew and Aramaic are very, uh, they're, they're from the same branch of families. They're very similar languages. They're not identical. Uh, there is an argument among translators is, is Aramaic written with Hebrew letters or is Hebrew written with Aramaic letters? That's how close they are. But they're, they're, not, they're not interchangeable. It's, uh, people describe them, early Aramaic and early Hebrew, as like Portuguese and Spanish. They sound alike, but they're not, you can kind of understand it, but you don't. But the Babylonians all spoke Aramaic. So when the people were taken back to Babylon, everyone then quit speaking Hebrew as their everyday language and spoke Aramaic. They, the classes and the Bible was still taught in Hebrew. So all the men who were going, so when you went to synagogue, synagogue was done in Hebrew. But when you're out running around in your everyday life, you're speaking Aramaic. Uh, they got new leadership. Nebuchadnezzar took all the leaders, took all the king, took all the royals. He stuck them in prison and they died there. They never come back. They disappear for all intents and purposes. The priests become the leaders of the people. And then you have the new place of worship because the, uh, the people of Israel are centered around the temple. The temple is destroyed. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar destroys the temple the second time around. There's nothing left of it. So the synagogue right, becomes the new place of worship, which is a, uh, an area where I think the rules where you had to have 10, is it 10 or 12? I can't remember, it's 10 or 12 men of faith in order to establish a synagogue. And then that's where they studied. Uh, that's where you learned uh, the, the boys would go to uh, school and learn Hebrew. That's where you learn the scriptures. Uh, so a significant change from what had occurred before the first Babylonian, uh, before the Babylonian exile. Uh, and then if you read the book of Daniel, Belshazzar is Nebuchadnezzar's grandson. He does not, he is one of the shortest ruler, rulers in history. He probably rules less than about six months. Uh, he ignored the guy next door, who we like to call Cyrus the Greater, Darius the Mede. Uh, in the book of Daniel, they tell the story of how uh, Cyrus the Great comes and conquers Babylon. Uh, so the Persians take over. Uh, you'll see this in the Bible, different names. Most people think Darius the Great was Cyrus the Great's son-in-law. It's, it's hard to tell because he was both a Persian and a Mede. 
during this period of time, about 200 years, the people of Israel are sent back to the Promised Land. Under Zerubbabel first, Ezra is a priest, and then again, uh, Nehemiah comes about 20 years later. Uh, so the, the Persians' ruling philosophy was send everyone back home. They were the opposite of the Babylonians. So they send everyone back to where you came from. Uh, so the Jews, by and large, went home. Now, large numbers of them did not come home. Uh, we know this, uh, just to give you some context of what occurred, Esther, the book of Esther. Esther stays in, she becomes the queen of Persia. So she is in the capital of Persia, which is not Babylon, it's another, other, another city. She is married to a guy named Xerxes. Xerxes is the grandson of Darius the Mede, great-grandson of Cyrus the Great. If you saw the movie 300, that's Xerxes. Uh, and if you're, real, if you're a real history student, Battle of Salamis 480 BC is the peak of the Persian Empire. They try to can't conquer the Greeks, they cannot. Uh, here's a quick map of the Persian Empire. Uh, the, this is the original Babylonian Empire here. So all the Jews are in this area right here. Uh, they're in Susa up through Babylon. Uh, Cyrus the Great becomes the king of Persia. In very short order, he conquers all this purple territory, he conquers the brown territory, he conquers the green, he goes down to Egypt, conquers all of Egypt. Everyone wants Egypt. Egypt is wheat. Egypt is food. Nobody wants Jerusalem. Jerusalem is a, is a bunch of troublemakers. If you look through history, they constantly cause trouble to whoever conquers them. They conquer them. The reason they conquer them, it's a drive-by. They gotta have the road. Because if you got the wheat here, it's got to get to here, and you've got to go up this little teeny road that runs on the coast. So they've got to have transport. And so the Jews cause trouble, and they always get conquered. So they're sent home by the Persians. Uh, so for about 200 years, they're a, va a vassal state of the Persians. Uh, and the question is, what did the, what did the Jews get from the Persians? Number one, they got a temple number two. When Ezra goes back, he rebuilds a temple. It's not the temple of David or in Solomon. It is a temple. It's smaller. Uh, they talk about when he builds it, some of the people, uh, there, it's been at least 70 years, actually it was 90 years by the time he built the temple. Uh, people cry when they, think, you know, they hear stories from their grandparents on what the temple looked like. And so they cry when Ezra rebuilds the temple because it's such a simple place compared to the Temple of Solomon. But what the Jews got from the Persian was local control. Their vassal state, as long as they paid their taxes, they could worship whatever god they want in whatever language they want in any way they wanted, as long as they paid their taxes. It sounds like today. I don't. You're going to hear this over and over this week. As long as you pay your taxes, you can do what you want. Uh, the Babylonians were very control-oriented. Uh, you know, you had to do what they want. The Persians are kind of hands-off. You know, as long as you don't form it rebellion, you pay your taxes, we're good. Uh, so the Persians, for about 200 years, uh, the Jews are in Persia. Now, during this period, there's, Jews are scattered throughout the Persian Empire. They're in Egypt. They're in uh, the capital of Persia. 
The, uh, because the Jews are a very, very educated people, everybody, every male goes to, uh, we, we would call it synagogue, it's not Sunday school, synagogue school, and learns to read and write Hebrew, which is very, very, very rare in this time period. So as a result, Jews are taken with, their, they are frequently made uh, administrators of stuff because they can read and write. And so you see Jews scattered throughout the Persian Empire, which comes up later when, they, when you get into languages of who does which language where, and what is the Bible written in, and what is the Old Testament written in. So Persia, the Jews are doing pretty well. They're, they've got a temple, they're back to the temple, but they still have the synagogue. And the, the difference is there are, no, there are no kings. During this period, we had the rise of what the, what the historians call the, the priest kings. The high priest becomes the most powerful man in Israel because the, the, the Persians give a, uh, establish a governor over Judea. So politically, the Persians run, but once again, as long as you pay your taxes, don't care what you do. So the, the high priest becomes a very, very, very important position and really controls all of Israel. And he's the man through which the governor uh, issues edicts. He would call the high priest in and say, hey, let's do this, and, and the high priest would send it out. Uh, in fact, when you go back, Nehemiah was actually a Jew who was appointed by the Persians to be the governor of Judea. So if you read the book of Nehemiah, that's who he is. All right, now we get into the, the Hellenistic period. Uh, for about another 200 years. Everything runs about 200 years. It seems the uh, empires last about 200 years and then they get in, caught in infighting and get broken down. Uh, inside the Hellenistic period, you have Alexander the Great, you have the Ptolemies and, the, and then the Seleucids. You know, a, you know a Ptolemy. Cleopatra was a Ptolemy. Uh, Cleopatra by, is not just a person. Cleopatra is like a family name. There were lots of Cleopatras. You will, we will run into Cleopatra again in the Roman. So, uh, you know, Elizabeth, who's it, Elizabeth Taylor? Was that the one? Yeah, Elizabeth Taylor. Cleopatra, right? Roman, Julius Caesar and Cleopatra. She is a Cleopatra. She's not the Cleopatra. So it, it was a very common name. But she becomes the most powerful Cleopatra because she, she learns to get good boyfriends. Uh, and then uh, the Seleucids come along, and you're going to meet a guy, and tickets the fourth Epiphanes who is possibly the dumbest ruler ever, and, and the, the leader of the Peter Principle, you rise to the level of your incompetence. He only becomes king because his, his dad dies, he is not ready to be king, and he does some really stupid stuff. That leads to him losing his kingdom. Uh, this is uh, Alexander the Great's conquest. As you look from the previous map, this is exactly Persia. In nine years, he capture, he conquers, he starts in that little green area. In nine years, he conquers all the Persian Empire. All the way to, he gets all the way over here into India. Uh, for, this is Afghanistan, modern Afghanistan. This is Pakistan, this is India. He conquers all that in nine years. He, but he fails at the number one job of emperors, which is, anybody? What? Air. Air. You got it. You have to have an heir and a spare, right? 
Remember, they always talk about the, when, the, when whoever marries in England, they always have to have an heir and a spare. He does not get married. He does not have an heir. He dies when he's 30, I think he's 33. So he thought he had lots of time. He dies when he's 33. When, when you don't have an heir, bad things occur. Uh, and so what happens is the kingdom breaks up into four parts. Uh, you have the Seleucids who are here. They're called the Seleucids because their capital is in Seleucia. The Ptolemies get the, Ptolemies get the powerful part. They get Egypt, which is where Cleopatra comes from. Yes? Can you back up one slide? Yeah. Just, as you said, he died at 33. I was just thinking about how Alexander the Great did all that and died at 33. Yes. And Jesus of Nazareth stays in like that little dot. He stays there. And there's no one that thinks about like I'm a follower of God. And, right. And he did all that. And Jesus stays in that little dot. Yeah, it's... Yeah, there, there's a lot of parallels when you look at Alexander the Great and Jesus. Well, uh, one other uh, just related observation I had is not really maybe to the point where you're going, Jeff, but it just struck me that God in all his wisdom did not choose one of the two bread baskets to reveal himself. Right. I mean, it's, it's amazing when you look at... The busy, conflicted intersection. He, yeah. Basi- basically, yeah, it, like I said, it's, position, it's location, location. It's, it's, the, uh, it's the Waffle House on the corner is Jerusalem. <laughs> Uh, it, it really is. It's, it's, when you look at history, Jerusalem is, you know, to us, because we always talk about Jerusalem and, you know, the Jews are always about Jerusalem. It's this tiny little city that nobody really wants other than the Jews. The Jews really want it. Nobody else really wants it throughout history because there's nothing there. Uh, and, you know, it, it has a population at this point, this time, you know, you're in the ten or 20,000 people range. It's tiny. Uh, and by the way, all these A's are cities that he names Alexandria. When you're the king, you can name the city after yourself. The only one you really, everyone knows about, this is Alexandria, Egypt here. The important part of Alexandria, Egypt is, it's where his uh, followers, uh, the Ptolemies, established the library of Alexandria. And so what they try to do is... Uh, we get here, Alexandria, is that the Ptolemies see themselves as intellectuals. And they probably, for the day, probably relatively were. So they try to get a written uh, word of every uh, major literature source in the time that through this entire era here, and they try to put it in the library in Alexandria. Where that comes up to play for us and for our uh, people of the time of Jesus is the Septuagint. Uh, about uh, 200 BC, one of the Ptolemies, Ptolemy II, gathers, th- there's not great literature on how many gather. It's called the Septuagint. We're not sure if there were 70 writers. We're not sure if there were 72 writers. Uh, the, the story is, he grab, he, because there are lots of Jews that are living down here, so he gathers seven, and he controls Jerusalem at this point. Jerusalem's right here. He gathers 70 or 72 rabbis. And the story is, remember, rabbis have to memorize Scripture. That's part of your growing up. And so he puts them in a room, gives them 
Papyrus and says, write down the Torah and write it in Greek because nobody understands Hebrew. Remember what I said? Everyone speaks Aramaic at this point. Uh, or the Seleucians, when they came through, they speak Greek, which is what did, what did the Jews receive from the, from the Greeks? Greek. Uh, so nobody, re nobody reads Hebrew other than the Jews. And there's a lot of Jews that are now starting not to read Hebrew because they're living in Aramaic-speaking or Greek-speaking areas. So Ptolemy II has the Septuagint written, which is the Torah plus minus some other books in Greek. And according to some of the historians, what he did was he put the 70 guys in 70 separate rooms, had them write the Torah out, and then compared them so that he came up with what he thought was the best translation, which is the Septuagint. Since you've all been in churches, you can imagine what happens next. The argument over which one to use. This is like King James and New American Standard, right? Do you use the Hebrew Bible or do you use the Greek Bible? And there's a huge split that occurs. Uh, basically, if you're super conservative and uh, you see the rise of, of two political parties at this point, they're both religious and political. I call them political, you know, there's no voting. Uh, you know, the Ptolemies are in charge. Uh, but for all intents and purposes, they are political. They influence people. Uh, so you see the rise of the Pharisees and the Sadducees during this period of Hellenization. The, the Greeks run. You have the Pharisees are, the Pharisees definitely are Hebrew. You know, and then their question is, do you have Old Hebrew or Older Hebrew? You know, they're very, very conservative. The Sadducees would speak Hebrew because the Sadducees are all priests. But they are Hellenist. They, in their daily life, speak Greek. They read what they, they know Hebrew. But they would be using the Greek Bible because it's new, it's hip. They're the cutting edge guys. The Pharisees are the, are the very conservative, uh, not in a bad way conservative, they're just very non-progressive. The Greeks, the Sadducees tend to be very, very progressive. The reason that they tend to be progressive is that they want to stay in power because the Sadducees run the temple during this period of time. And if you're going to stay in power, you better be in with the governor. And so the governors are Greek, so they speak Greek. During this period of time, uh, there is a gymnasium built in uh, Jerusalem. There is a racetrack uh, like a, uh, for uh, Olympics, uh, which is very different from the Jews. The Jews didn't do that. The Greeks did that. And so you see the high priest starting to become very uh, Hellenized. Uh, the Pharisees do not, that is not high on their list of things, and they're not great friends of the Sadducees. So you get these two political parties start, yes? Was there ever any movement toward the moderate middle? Were there, was there a, a sad Pharaoh or whatever? I mean, <laughs> uh, it, it, it's hard to tell because the history is, you know, as I say, the history is written by the winners. And so you see, all, the, all we get from the history of these guys are who survives after the various people take over. Like, for instance, the Sadducees disappear in 70 AD because they're all priests and they're all in the temple. Uh, temple, goes, gone. temple goes, they're gone. The Pharisees still hang around. Uh, all right. 
164, we'll go back to the, during this period of time, the Seleucids <laughs> fight the Ptolemies off and on, and they gain control of uh, Jerusalem. They gain control of Jerusalem, not because they want Jerusalem, but they, they get the road. And with the road, you get the taxes, because you have to pay taxes to transport the wheat. Uh, and so during this period of time, just before 164, these are the three last high priests who are Sadducees. Onias, Jason, that's a really Jewish name, right? Very Greek name. <laughs> and Melanius, very Greek. So you see how Greek the high priests have gotten. Uh, and then uh, the king of the Seleucians is Antichus IV Epiphanes. He decides for reasons that nobody, I've ever, what I've read, can explain, that he's going to make the Jews, I say nobody likes the Jews. He tells, he passes a series of laws. You cannot be circumcised. The Torah is outlawed. It's a capital offense to have one. If I find one with you, I kill you. And everyone has to eat pork. So as you know, the Jews don't eat pork. Uh, the Torah is everything. And the circumcision is a sign of being Jews. Uh, and the, these chief priests go along with it to the point that this priest sacrifices a pig on the high altar. You can imagine how that goes over, not really well. So we have this guy named Mattathias the Hasmonean. This, that's why it's called the Hasmonean dynasty. He is a priest at a smaller outlying city. Uh, some soldiers come along from Antiochus Fourth Epiphanes and they force every priest to sacrifice pigs. He says no. They say, if you don't sacrifice pigs, we are going to pick 10 guys in your village and kill them. And another younger priest steps up and says, I will sacrifice the pig. He gets ready to sacrifice the pig. Mattathias whips out a knife, kills that priest. All his boys, Judas Maccabee being his oldest, are standing around him. They all have swords. They kill all the soldiers. That starts the Maccabean Rebellion. It turns out that I take his fourth epiphany is not only a stupid, he's also a horrible soldier. And so the Jews who have no arms, virtually no money, no nothing, manage to become an independent country. Uh, what you see, the Greens are their expansion over the hundred years that the, the nation of Israel is now independent. Uh, first, second, third, and fourth Maccabees are written during this period of time. Uh, so you see, and those are considered apocryphal. They're not part of our scripture. They're more historical of what happened during the Maccabean period, the hundred years the Maccabees run. So you see the Maccabees start here. Uh, if, if you saw this on the topograph, this is very mountainous. Uh, Judas, uh, Judas, uh, Mac, Jake, what's the first Maccabees? I'm blacking his name. Judas Maccabee. Judas Maccabee is a great general. He learns that if you got no cavalry and you have no uh, chariots, do not fight the guys that do. So he stays up in the mountains and makes them come to him and he wins every battle. So he becomes the first, remember, Mattathias is a priest. You can imagine that the guy who sacrificed the pig on the, on the altar is probably not still with us. Uh, and so Judas Maccabee becomes high priest and becomes, this is the area of the priest kings. He's both priest and king. So he gets this area, uh, then his son, you see all the sons, Jonathan's is his son, and then Simon, then 
John Hacranius and Aristobulus, then Aeson, Janus. Uh, these are all direct descendants. They all expand the kingdom. Very important, the road runs right here. And you'll notice late in the kingdom, they control the road, which means they get the tax money. Uh, so they become powerful for about 100 years. And the, the, the Maccabees managed to do in 100 years what all the other kingdoms do in 200 years. By the end of the 100 years, they're infighting. Now, it, they got several things is, uh, what did the Jews get during the Hasmonean rule, which is themselves? They got independence. They were a separate country. They ran everything of their own. They kept their own taxes. Uh, they rebuilt whatever they wanted. They rebuilt their cities. Uh, and a new political party begins in this period called the Essenes. The Essenes are, uh, they're that middle party you were talking about. They're kind of, we don't really want to be part of politics. We want to kind of pull away. We're, we're back to the Torah is very, the word of God is very important to us, but we really don't want to be a political entity. And so, yes. Well, and I was going to add on the Essenes, they saw the temple and the priesthood at the temple, the Sadducees, as corrupt and impure. So they said, based on the inspiration of Isaiah 40, a voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, which, a sidebar, because I think is pretty fascinating. Some Bibles say a voice of one crying in the wilderness, colon, prepare the way of the Lord. Uh, but so, so that's where it should be not a voice of one crying in the wilderness it's in the wilderness and if you look at the scripture God always leads his people into the wilderness to show them his word and to speak to them and Essenes, Essenes took that very literally and said let's get away from the city and study the scriptures and prepare the way of the Lord through obeying the scriptures out in the wilderness and like all the, there's a lot of history like Josephus writes about. Right. Like these guys took the Sabbath more seriously than everybody else, and these people were devoted yeah. to the Bible extremely. Yes, and so, so now politically, you've got three parties: Sadducees, Pharisees, and Essenes. The Essenes are not a party as we think of it because they're all about I want to get out. I don't want to be involved in this political thing, so I'm getting out. And you can see why they considered the Sadducees and the priest corrupt. Because the previous ones were, were, you know, they were sacrificing pigs. They were willing to go along with the leadership to maintain power. And the Essenes are very much back to the Bible. Let's, you know, let's be holy, let's be separate. Uh, so what happens in 63 B.C.? Uh, Hasmonean Civil War. Uh, during this period of time, the Hasmoneans start assassinating each other to get the right to be the chief priest. Uh, Julius Caesar with his, uh, his son-in-law, uh, Pompey, conquer Egypt. Julius Caesar meets Cleopatra. This is back to the movie now. <laughs> All right. He really loves Cleopatra. She's really good looking. He takes her back to Rome with him. He leaves Pompey, his son-in-law, around and says, clean the area up. Make sure we can get the wheat. So to Pompey, that means I'm going up the coast, I'm making sure the road is ours. The road becomes Roman. He's going up the road, and one of the two sides in the Civil War knows he's coming and says, hey, come in the war on our side. So they pay him one ton of gold, eight tons of silver. 
uh, to come in and bring his legions and fight on their side. Pompey, being Roman, understands it's better to be the king than to be the, on the side of the king. He conquers Jerusalem. He conquers all of the Hasmodean Empire and adds it to Rome, which, which means Rome now gets the taxes. And he, and he throws both parties out and appoints his own chief priest. Uh, two rules of the Romans. Again, just like everyone else, pay your taxes, keep the peace. When you don't pay your taxes or you keep the peace, the Romans are uh, they are pretty hardcore. We'll talk in a minute. Uh, our good friend Herod the Great gets appointed during this time period as one of the rulers. Herod... So I'm from the map. Herod is Indumean. Indumeans are not Jewish. During the height of the Hasmonean Empire, they thought it was a good idea to go forcibly convert non-Jews to Judaism. As, as you know in the Bible, Judaism is not an evangelical religion. And, but the Maccabeans thought it was a good rule. So they went down and forcibly converted the Emudeans to Judaism. You know, either convert or die. And so that was uh, Herod the Great's grandparents. He is not a big fan. He was raised as Jewish, but he's not a big fan of being Jews, Jewish. He is now under the Romans, uh, appointed, uh, this is basically a map of all the Rome. You can see the Jews are not a very big territory. We think it was important, the Jews, this was all the things that Julius Caesar controlled at his peak. Uh, very much, uh, so Herod the Great is not a big fan of the Jews. He's in control of the Jews, so they have to pay their taxes. He's got to keep them happy, but he doesn't like Jews. But he was raised as a Jew. And so here's a little thing. In the New Testament, there are a lot of Herods. Herod is the family name. And so Herod the Great, so Herod the Great is only mentioned in Luke 1, first and second chapters, Matthew 2. He's the guy who's king when Jesus is born. He also is a great builder. He builds the third temple, which is bigger than the original temple. In fact, the Wailing Wall in Jerusalem today is the remnants of Herod's temple. He was a great engineer. He built cities. He built aqueducts. He built cities called Caesarea. He built two of them. Uh, he is also, by the way, the greatest politician ever. He gets appointed by Pompey to be uh, the governor. Julius Caesar dies in 44, you know, the Ides of March, right? He's assassinated. Civil war breaks out in Rome. Mark Antony and Cleopatra, same Cleopatra, are on one side. Octavian, who is the grandson of Caesar, is on the other. Here the great backs Cleopatra and Mark Antony, who, by the way, do not win the war. If you saw the movie, you know, Cleopatra kills herself, Mark Antony's killed in the battle. So he backs the losing side in a civil war and still maintains governor of Judea. So I don't know how he convinced Octavian that, but he was sending money and troops to back the one side. They lose. He still maintains his power. He, he was the uh, friend of Octavian's son. son. And they had real, real close together. Yeah, but it, it's, still, it's still, in those days, you back the wrong side, you pretty much got your head cut off. So, but the, it, everything's relational. 
And yeah, and so like he is friends with the sons. Yes. Well, he is not ethnically Jewish. He is convert, his grandparents are converted to Judaism. So he is raised as a Jew, but he's not Jewish. Because you could convert to Judaism, but you're always a second-class citizen. And so the, the Indumeans were converted to Judaism, but, the, but he rises now to be the king. All right, and so as you go through the Bible, uh, Herod the Great dies about 4 B.C., uh, this son, this son, and this son get three parts of his kingdom, which I think is my next map. Philip's over here. This is one of the Herods. This is the second Herod. This is uh, Astrobilus gets the south. Uh, sorry, Archeralus gets the south. And Antipas gets what's now as Galilee. Philip gets across in Transjordan. Uh, this is where we go Game of Thrones here in about two seconds. Uh, he is horrible. So bad that the Romans take him out and appoint a governor. Philip marries Herodias, his niece. Uh, she's really pretty. Herod meets her, really likes her, steals her from Philip. So Herodias marries him and then marries him. Uh, is that the one that John spoke out of? Yes, the one that John the Baptist gets his head chopped off from is Herodias married to Herod Antipas. All right. So Herod Antipas dies. He is succeeded by, they have no children. He is succeeded by Herod Agrippa I. So the rest, so when you hear Herod in the, in the Gospels, you're meeting this Herod, other than the birth story. When you get to Herod in the book of Acts, it's this one, except for the very end of the book of Acts, it's Herod II, his son, who, by the way, marries Bernice, his sister. And the governor of Judea is Felix, who was married to Drusilla, another sister of Agrippa. So they're all marrying off each other, and that's how the politics run that keep everybody together. So this is the cultural area in which the Jews are, of Jesus' time, are coming. Uh, what did you get from the Romans? You got security, autonomy, and a new political party, the Zealots. Now that you're not independent anymore, there are people that feel that you need to be independent. They are become the Zealots. They will do anything for independence. And at least one, if not two, of Jesus' apostles are Zealots. Uh, and we'll get to that a little later. All right, let's talk about if you, don't, if you break the rules to the Romans. Spartacus, most of us know the story of Spartacus. Uh, 50 B.C., rebelled against the Romans, three years inside of Rome. The, the last uh, battle he's defeated, the Appian Way in Rome, 26 miles from the battlefield to downtown Rome. All the surviving men are crucified for 26 miles. And just in case you missed this, that hint that maybe you shouldn't rebel, that night they send riders with torches and light the crosses on fire for 26 miles. So it's, it's clear what the story they tell. Sapporah uh, is a city in Galilee. It's two miles from Nazareth. 
it is an uh, area of uh, an administrative hub, if you will, in Galilee. After the death of the first Herod in 4 BC, one of the zealots said, this is a great time, we're going to be independent again. There's no king, let's get some guys. They take over Sephora, uh, steal the tax money that's there, steal the arms that are there, kill the Romans that are there, and expect everyone to come running to them and, and establish another independent uh, Judea. Does not happen. The Romans have two legions, the 10th and the 3rd. They surround the city very quickly. Uh, the guys say, we give up. The Romans said, nope, you don't get to give up. Uh, everyone is in the city. If you're a man, we're going to kill you. Everyone is under the age of 13 or a woman, you're going into slavery. Uh, so the Romans take the city, uh, destroy the walls, take every man in Sephora and crucify them on the walls so that you can see them. Sephora sits on top of a hill. You can see them for miles. And then, just to give a deeper story, post troops and say, you can't take the bodies down. Because, you know, these are Jews. They want to bury them right away. They post troops and let them rot on the cross and let the birds eat them and, until all the bones literally fall off the crosses. Just to give a message to people, do not rebel and pay your taxes. So that occurs two miles from Nazareth at the period of time when uh, Mary and Joseph were probably living in Nazareth. So when you say crucifixion in the, in the first century, that's the story they remember. Uh, so you can imagine how that uh, imp impacts you. All right, next week we'll get into some of the social theological structure of having these four political parties around. Uh, and then we'll get into some of the language and the structure of uh, how the Gospels and especially the parables are written. And then the week after that, we'll start on some of the parables. All right. Yes. The Samaritans are the leftover of the northern kingdom. The ten tribes that are taken by the Assyrians are the Samaritans. So they're, once again, they're semi. Before, when you had the split, uh, the southern ten tribes had Jerusalem. So the northern ten tribes didn't come down to Jerusalem. They had their own, air, the mountain, if you will. Uh, and so they were leftover. So they become, they were hybrid Jews before the Babylonian captivity, by the time of Jesus, which is 600 years. They, intermarried? they intermarried with the local people. They couldn't come to the temple because they were outcast during that period of time. So that they, they established a pseudo-Judaism that was not temple-based. So in the, in the uh, mind of Jews, they were uh, just like Gentiles. Or actually, they're probably worse because they knew, they knew the right rules and didn't do them. So that was the Samaritans. And we'll get to that because we're actually going to talk about the Good Samaritan in about six weeks. All right. That's time. Let you guys get to worship. We'll see you next week. And Rebecca, will, if we have an email, we'll send you out a little recap of this week. Thank you.